We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Yeah, good, mate. Carl Lowry just made the list, though. <laughs> he made he made the blacklist, huh? He's going to get marked off. He tried to hurt our boy, Jared Allen. Very dirty play. We'll dive into that and much more. As always, though, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, where do we start with this one? We're recapping yesterday's loss of the Toronto Raptors, 121-102 at home. And it kind of made uh, Karis LeVert's return a little bit less enjoyable. Yeah, it's A lot left, less enjoyable. <laughs> well, yeah, of course it did. It was it left the sour tasting. Taylor two halves, really, really solid start for the Nets. And then you could sort of see things changing uh, the tide of sorts when towards the end of that second quarter where the Raptors went on a, a bit of a mini run and they got the momentum. And then from there, they never really looked back. They outscored us in the third quarter and severely outscored the Nets uh, in the final quarter as well. Nets defensive lapses certainly weren't helping. They were hitting shots here and there, you know, but overall, I just thought that things just went to the wayside, that the Nets do well. You know, a, a ridiculous amount of turnovers in the first half certainly didn't help, and the Raptors, you know, as a good team, will capitalize on that, and the Raptors normally don't give the ball away that much. So it's it sort of, you know, you can't give a, a good team, even without Pascal Siakam, Marcus Sol, and Norman Powell, three key rotation guys, you know, extra opportunities, extra looks at the basket, and, you know, the Raptors made us pay, they were the better team, as much as, as frustrating as some of the officiating was, and as frustrating as some of their players were, especially Kyle Lowry. They deserved the win. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch the second half due to traveling issues and JetBlue's Wi-Fi not working, but I was able to see the first half. And kind of like you mentioned, Jack, you felt somewhat good about the first half. The Nets had a lead, but it felt like it could have been a double-digit lead if they didn't turn the ball over at such a high rate. You know, I don't know the exact number, but it felt like they had 15 turnovers almost at halftime, and that just puts you in a hole. 
especially when you're missing on an opportunity against a solid team like the Raptors. Like you mentioned, they're still injured and missing a lot of guys. This is a team that won a championship last year and plays good basketball. If you don't capitalize on that opportunity, you're going to falter. And then in the second half, you know, just looking at the numbers, not being able to see, allowing a team that's missing some of their best players to score 35 points in the third quarter and then 38 points in the fourth quarter, to me that defensive intensity just wasn't there. Was that the case? Yeah, it certainly was. And I think it was about 16 or 17 turnovers. You can, I'm pretty sure in the first half, Nick, and finishing the game with 24, so many plays. You know, a, a guy like DeAndre Jordan was continuing to try to make those back cut passes. And, and against a good team who just are much more sound defensively, you know, you can do it maybe against a Charlotte, you can do it maybe against the Phoenix, these sort of guys, but against the Toronto Raptors team who are much more savvy defensively, much more switched on under Coach, Hedner, um, Coach Nick nurse you know you can't do that it was just 73 points to 50 the, the nets couldn't really get much going either there wasn't you know the the, the offensive flow certainly lacked as well and and joe harris and, and coach kenny did both mention about the the lack of execution uh defensively you know in the final quarter has been a problem of late you know, it's essentially one of the the more. The, I think the the Nets' consistency overall is is one thing that's frustrating because we've spoken about on on plenty of previous buzzes when we see what they can do. You know, in that first quarter when the ball is just humming around, everyone's hitting the shots, the ball is moving, the ball's fizzing. You know, Karis Levert comes and steps in and makes the second unit look a lot better, and you just have that confidence. It's like, okay, well then let let's why, why, let's see if we can hold this for forty eight minutes. And you know, you're always sort of just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. And I know my guy. Uh, the guy who's probably one of the best guys on Nets Twitter, the SpongeBob as depicted by uh, on, on Nets Twitter. His videos are always very succinct and sum up uh, the Nets foils right now. But yeah, it, it was a tale of two halves, Nick. And I think that a lot of things can be said of, of you know letting Kyle Lowry get hot, letting Fred Van Vliet get hot. You know, Serge Barker was bodying down there uh, and he was having his own way. But the, the the Raptors were just a better team overall. And I think that some of the guys at the bench, including our guy Rondo Hollis-Jefferson, was plus 21. You know, there weren't many guys. In fact, zero players apart from Patrick McCaw were, were negative in plus minus. He was minus one. Whereas for the Nets, we had zero players who were positive in plus minus. <laughs> zero. <laughs> and it's just so terrible when you start a game so well. And it, it wasn't like they got lucky and they were just hitting a lot of threes. Like you mentioned, the ball was moving well. They were playing some team defense. And then it, they just lose that consistency and they try to force things. And you mentioned DeAndre having five turnovers. He shouldn't have five turnovers in two games. He's a center. Yeah, they ask him to do a little bit more in terms of passing, but trying to force things against the Raptors is just not going to work. I think overall, just this team needs to get some type of boost, and we're hoping that would be Karis LeVert. Obviously, he was on a minute restriction, only played 15 minutes, but he looked really well. Do you think Karis could be the guy in the next couple of games that gives this team a boost, or it's going to be more than him? Yeah, I mean, it has to be more than him, but tonight I could, you could automatically see that there was just a bit more synergy and rhythm with this team when Karis Levert was out there rather than having, you know, Musa and Pinson sort of running the second unit, uh, having the ball in their hands as playmakers, you know, and then Temple at times as well. You know, I think, you know, you've spoken about them on the outlet, Nick, you know, guys like Garrett Temple and Toy and Prince, they're what we're expecting of them is, is a little bit too much. I think Prince is probably more disappointing because we, he, he is a guy that is still growing as a player. You know, he isn't a vet that is being forced to play, you know, above his, his, his minutes threshold. 
whereas Torian Prince is still a relatively young guy, you know, got a nice little extension, still working his way into form. And, you know, we're, we're really excited about the early season sort of returns. But, you know, his rebounding was, you know, okay. But overall, it was a really, really poor game from him. You know, the three ball wasn't wasn't going down two of eight from there. Uh, and I think just overall, we need our role players to be what they, what they are and what they can be on the good nights and in the good moments. Because especially against a team like the Raptors, a top four sort of seed, you know, one of those sort of contenders in the Eastern Conference, when we're playing these really tough teams, you know, when we get those wins against Boston, against Denver, it's the role players that step up. And then we saw the other night, uh, when we had that incredibly even team performance, all guys were chipping in with seven, eight points against the, was it the Rockets? I can't necessarily remember. Um, but it was a really good performance and we need those role players to be what they are. Uh, but right now, the consistency is probably the, the, the main key of, of why the Nets are underperforming. Yeah, especially when teams are going to send so much attention to Spencer Dinwiddie. I didn't, like I mentioned, I didn't get to watch the second half, but I know in that second quarter they started to blitz him, send more double teams his way, and they kind of forced somebody else to beat him. And knowing Karis LeVert was only going to play, you know, 15 minutes or a minute restriction, just one of the other guys needs to step up. And Torian Prince, you know, was a guy we saw step up in the past, but this last month has really been a struggle for him. Obviously, we've we've kind of echoed our frustrations on the show a lot. But I'm not sure if he's going to be able to step up without another player getting back in here and making his life easier. I mean, yes and no, Nick. I think that he should be able to. I think that he should have the confidence in his own talents. You know, I think he got uh, bodied a few times by Serge Ibaka. Maybe that left him, you know, feeling a little less confident and a little less physical than he normally is. You know, there's just sometimes where he just lacks that flow in his game. He's forcing things a little bit too much. Um, I'm not sure if Coach can need to change the rotations around him. I don't think he does. I think Prince just needs to step up on his own accord. And, you know, he has the talent to do so. You know, he should be hitting threes left, right, and center. He is one of the probably... You know, yeah, he is our second-best three-point shooter. Um, and I think he needs to get a lot, lot better and soon because he's incredibly important as a wing player in our in our rotation when we don't have, you know, a high-quality amount of them. Yes, Rodion's has been good of late. Yes, Wilson Chandler has been okay of late as well. But Torian Prince is the guy that can shoot from three, should be playing defense, should be rebounding. And it's like one or the other. It's never like a complete performance from him. And he's emblematic of the Nets' woes at this time. Yeah, it's almost like his three-point shooting reminds you of Alan Crabb, where at times you know how good of a three-point shooter he is, but his percentages just aren't there where he goes into one of these slumps where he can't knock down a three, but then he'll have another stretch where he's extremely hot. Like, I'm not even that concerned about maybe the decision-making or the driving, because, like, when KD and Kyrie are healthy, we're not going to need that. But the three-point shooting, we need him to feel more confident, because at times it seems like he's hesitant or he's kind of messed with his shot where it's not looking as crispy as it did early in the year, especially during preseason where it looked like he might even shoot better than Joe Harris the way he was knocking down threes. Yeah, I think that confidence is obviously reflective of that a little bit, Nick. And I think that the Toronto Raptors defense, we probably shouldn't read overly into this performance because the Raptors are incredibly good at closing out. And especially in the second half, you know, they were just really, really capable. I think Prince is still a quality three-point shooter. I don't think you necessarily lose that. Um, I'm probably a little more confident in him in, in, than Alan Crabb. Maybe it's just the height. Maybe it's just the, the fact that he's a bit more of a wing player. I feel um, more. But, I feel better about Prince's entire game than I did about Crabb, but in terms of three-point shooting, I kind of feel I'm getting like a similar vibe where it's just like they're not consistent the entire year. That's fair. That's fair. And I mean, when you're comparing it to the elite, elite three-point shooters, you know, that's certainly the case. You know, even in a 
uh, a lackluster performance and a, and a lesser performance from the Nets overall. My boy Joe Harris was still three or five from three. And, you know, we rarely see, I think probably we've had maybe some early season performances where he struggled and he was still about 40% from the field. And, you know, I'm not sure what he is on the season right now, but I can safely say that, you know, he'll be defending his crown in the three-point contest. And, you know, it just changes the dynamic of the of the, this team on offense when we're hitting those three balls. And it's been incredibly rare that we've had the chance to shoot above, you know, 35%. We did so tonight. And in the first half, we were at about 50% or so finishing the night at about 37%. And, you know, I think we were getting some really good looks, but the the Raptors defense, you know, I was like, when is this Raptors defense actually going to, you know, switch on and switch in? Uh, and then that second half, Nick Nurse probably had a bit of a spray with them at halftime. And then, you know, Larry and, and Van Vliet and, you know, even guys like McCall, the, these guys got really sort of feisty. Boucher, uh, our guy Rondé, they just got right in our faces and made things incredibly difficult. And the Nets couldn't respond. And sometimes is that's what happens to the Nets is the other team will pick up their defensive intensity and the Nets don't pick up their offensive intensity and then all of a sudden they're getting blown out in the second half. Like I said, I think a lot had to do with the defense. But Jack, what do you think about Wilson Chandler playing 22 minutes and not attempting one shot? Um, I mean, you sort of the the old cliche, isn't it? You, you give you get you give what the you take what the offense and defense is giving you. I didn't necessarily actually notice it. You know, I think we would like probably him to be a little bit more aggressive. But, you know, if those shots are going to Karis LeVert instead, I'm cool. Because, you know, Karis LeVert finishing at 5 or 7 from the field. You know, obviously hitting both of his threes as well. Really sort of sound performance from him on his first game back. You know, obviously... You know, you want the the guy to be a bit more aggressive because he has some offensive talent. You know, he is physical. He can provide that sort of physical nature that we sort of want. He can hit the three ball. His three ball has been falling uh, quite a bit of late. He did get to the free throw line, didn't necessarily hit them. Had a few dimes as well, but I think everyone did, uh, especially in that first half as well, because the Raptors defense wasn't necessarily switched onto their capabilities. So, um, and he did obviously was also worse in plus minus uh, as well, Nick, you know, alongside Timothy Lyle Cabrero, both of those guys finishing minus 18, minus 19. And generally when we've, you know, played somewhat well and had a win, you know, one of TLC or Wilson Chandler are generally performing pretty well. So yeah, uh, probably maybe a lack of aggression, but also I don't think it was that big of a deal because he is a role player. You know, we don't necessarily expect him to sort of step up and, and hit big shots, but you know, you're going to take what the offense is giving you. Maybe he wasn't aggressive enough. Yeah, I think you still want to see him probably take at least one three just to keep them honest if you're you know kind of not shooting the entire game. I think if he was playing you know a lesser role like 15 minutes, no shots is okay. But like I said, I didn't watch the game, so I'll trust you on that. But what did you think of my guy Karis LeVert in his return? 13 points, like you mentioned, 5 of 7 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3, 1 assist, did have 3 turnovers. But from what I saw, a lot of those turnovers seemed like it was kind of a lack of uh, chemistry with the other player. And there might have even been some times where some of the bigs weren't ready. We, we DeAndre love those... in one instant, for sure. Yes. But we love those, those Kyrie wraparound passes. Jared Allen has been the recipient of them of late. And I think DeAndre was as well, at least on one or two occasions uh, last night. I was really impressed with his performance. Nick. Probably one of our best players in terms of, you know, just the consistency that he brought. You know, he was in the ability to create his own shot, to drive. It was, it was the Karras of old, you know, and I know I did a breakdown before his return that got a little bit of traction. You know, I know that he's shooting about 36% on the season from three. You know, I did show also a video. I know that one of the, the plays that you liked from last night was him creating his own mid-range shot. He's done that this season as well. He seems to be 
incredibly sad offensively. He said post-game that he would have liked to have stepped up a bit defensively. And on the boards, you know, he didn't, necess- he didn't even register a rebound. But if that's the worst we're asking of him in terms of rebounding, then I think, you know, you're probably nitpicking a little bit. And Karis has high standards for himself, as do the coaches. So I thought it was a really good performance. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that film and breaking it down as well. Really, really solid performance from your boy. Yeah, I'll watch the highlights on repeat. I was uh, fiending for some Karis LeVert. I was really pumped to see him out there, and he looked really well. Obviously, last year was a completely different injury with it being, you know, ankle slash foot, not being able to run. It just seemed he looked very fresh out there. He looked crispy and knocking down his shots. You know, some of it, obviously, you're not going to shoot five or seven all the time and two or two from three. It was a little bit of just like an outlier. But to see the confidence out there and to see him move so well, I'm excited to see what he can bring to this team in about a week because I think that's when the Nets will start to let him play and get that minute restriction off. Obviously, he's going to be out for tomorrow's game against Orlando. Yeah, which is disappointing. When the leash is off, boy, oh boy, then you know, the Nets hopefully will, will have a new dimension to their game, having their first, well, the guy at the start of the season with Kevin Durant out, our second best player in many cases, obviously Spencer did when he has stepped up into that regard with Kyrie Irving out um, for an extended period, which who, and we will get to um, Kyrie a little bit later, but yeah, Karras, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do on both ends of the floor. I know um, I'm our defense has certainly lacked something of late, and Karras hasn't necessarily brought that this season. You know, he's certainly been up and down in that department, but, you know, just having another guy out there to do what the most important thing in this Nets offense is, to be able to move the ball, to be able to create his own shot. You know, he looked good athletically and com- and in, in terms of his confidence and in terms of his body. But as well, you know, uh, one game, you know, early sample size, theater. You know, at the end of the day, you know, Karras is when he, during his return last year, obviously a different injury. Uh, he had his ups and his downs. But I think we can probably have higher expectations from a guy like him right now because, you know, he's older, he's wiser. And this injury as well doesn't seem like it should affect his fitness in any form or capability. And his confidence, I think, is higher too. Having that success in the postseason, kind of knowing you belong. And obviously, he didn't have a great start to the year, but he showed some nice flashes. And defensively, he hasn't played up to the standard that we want him to be at. But at at the very least, he has the capability of being a good defender with that athleticism and the length and the strength that he provides on the court. So I'm excited to see his return and what he can provide with his team. Then also giving Spencer Dinwiddie somebody to run with and someone to take the pressure off his back and another guy to just make life easier for Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, who really haven't been great of late. They have not at all, you know, and I think they continued a little bit again tonight. Serge Ibaka outplayed them and then some. Boucher with his sort of height and length and you know the guy is just incredible a a really good athlete you know DeAndre Jordan was getting out muscled and getting out boarded by him which is something you just don't want to see you know our, our bigs need to find something and hopefully you know there was you know a really insane highlight play it seems like they were lying too much on our and our guards, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Avert, you know, Thea Pinson of late um, to get them offense rather than be able to, you know, create a little bit for themselves, set some better screens, get a bit more aggressive on the glass. You guys are two of the best offensive rebounders in the league. Jared Allen was getting 20 boards a night. You know, every single miss that Spencer Dinwiddie had, Jared Allen was just there. And maybe that's watching, you know, some Steven Adams highlights because, you know, that guy is just an absolute crafty, savvy beast when it comes to the, the offensive boards. I'm not sure if people have seen some of the video on Twitter, but, you know, when he's when an offensive board is there for the taking, Steven Adams knows how to get it. You know, I, I love the free throw sort of line ones where he sort of doesn't necessarily bully his way in. He's just like goes around them and sprints through. You know, I think Jared Allen's timing has been lost a little bit on the boards and, you know, he's losing a little bit of that 
savviness and that confidence that he's had, you know, in that massive, awesome run that we saw from him earlier in the season when the Nets were going well. And DeAndre is just, you know, DeAndre. You know, he's just some of the times he's he's making these dives, some of these times he's making these dunks, he's making these blocks. You know, the box score doesn't look half bad. You know, six points, four blocks, you know, a couple of dimes, eight boards, but he's not impacting the way that we need him to. And you know, when we want when Jared Allen isn't performing, that's when we want the the big guy in the Andre Jordan to step up. Um, but he isn't hasn't provided that enough for us to say that we have a good center on the roster right now. Both of these guys aren't playing good basketball. They're playing below their capabilities and below average. And, you know, in, in the Nets offense and in the Nets defense, our, our centers are pretty important. They're ancillary pieces to an extent, but, you know, they provide an extra dimension. You know, those boards, you know, Jared Allen didn't even have an offensive rebound last night. You know, John Joe Jordan only had one. So to only total, you know, about five or six, you have six offensive rebounds. You know, there were nights where, you know, Jared Allen would have six by himself. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, really disappointing. And I think this has been our main reason for this five-game losing streak. You know, we had really good center play during that stretch where they were winning games. And, you know, like you mentioned, Jared Allen would have a 20-20 and 20 game or DeAndre and him would combine for like 30 points and 30 rebounds or something along those lines. And neither guy is really having that impact. And Jared Allen just is not playing with the same energy level on the boards. Like, we saw a guy a month ago that was attacking everything, like you mentioned. If he wasn't grabbing the board, he was at least getting a finger on it where he could tip it out to one of his teammates. That same energy just isn't there. Maybe teams are paying more attention to him or they're just doing a better job boxing him out. It's on him, though, to find a way to impact the game. And even uh, DeAndre, he just at times he just does not play with any energy and he just doesn't move or, like, he'll ball watch. And for a veteran of his age, ball watching is something you should not do. Yeah, and then he just gets annoyed when certain calls won't go his way, and it's just like sometimes it's the basketball court guards working against, working you know in, in their own way, DJ. Because sometimes it's just like, what's he doing out there? You know, in terms of if you're a center and you're getting outbodied by you know Chris Boucher, who probably weighs about as much as I do, then he weighs you know, I think 200 pounds. Yeah, and for those that don't know the conversion rate, neither do I. That's probably about my weight. It, it's it's not good enough, you know. And, and I think one of our guys needs to make a statement. And you know, coming up against Orlando, a guy, a team that has about four million big men, maybe this is the time and, and the place where it sort of happens. But you know, we've been waiting for that, you know, in, during this you know zero and five losing streak for one of them to really step up, and it hasn't happened. But hopefully sooner rather than later. The only way is up, right, Nick? Yeah, I, it really is. I mean, you're on a five-game losing streak. This is the longest losing streak since last year when they had, I believe, the 13-game one before they went on that nice winning stretch. Maybe that can be something that happens this year. Maybe Kyrie miraculously returns in a week or so and Karis LeVert turns into that all-star that we thought he could be before the year. But, Jack, other than Karis LeVert and other than Spencer Dinwiddie, who's still been very good, like I think that still goes under the radar. Like Spencer's doing everything he can to win games for this team, just the other guys not stepping up. And I think Joe Harris has played his role right. Which guy would you like to see step up for the next game the most between, uh, let's say, Torian Prince, Garrett Temple, and Jared Allen? And we'll throw uh, DeAndre in there, too. Yeah, I'll go with TP, Nick. You know, I think that three-point shooting and wing play is incredibly important to any team. And I think that he is the guy that should be stepping up the most. You know, if we're going to give some excuses, some valid excuses to guys like Garrett Temple and Jared Allen, Garrett Temple is, you know, a vet and, you know, he's already being extended above his role. Jared Allen is still a young guy who may not necessarily has solidified himself as a as a starting caliber player as of this point, and you know we're going to expect inconsistencies from him. Whereas Torian Prince is in his mid twenties, he's earned a nice contract from the team. 
He should be playing better. He should be shooting the three better. He should be playing better defense. He should be rebounding better. He should be driving better. And he should be just being a, a more capable and more effective teammate in this starting position. You know, I, I think if the Nets had a better cattle and maybe, you know, Coach Kenny wants to shake it up, throw Rodion's in there. You know, just shake it up a little bit and, and, and go, TP, this ain't good enough for you. You know, we expect more from you. You know, you don't deserve that starting role. You know, we will bring you back out there. Maybe just shake things up a little bit. And, you know, it might come to that point where a shake-up is needed because, you know, we saw Rodion start, you know, um, at, at times as well. And he when started he against started, Dallas. He, and he did, looked pretty and good. He had a really good performance then. So for me, maybe there's a shake-up needed, but, you know, Torian Prince needs to step up. Yeah, I mean, if Torian Prince is a good three-point shooter or even a very good three-point shooter on this team, it changes things because he just provides so much more spacing for Spencer Dewey and Jared Allen to run their pick and roll. And then you already have Joe Harris in the corner sucking guys in. No one's coming off of him. It's just the type of thing that can make or break an offense. When it's just one elite three-point shooter you have to worry about in Joe Harris, it's a lot easier to kind of come down on Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. And that's what we've seen a lot in this five-game losing streak. It's been a lot more pressure on Spencer Dinwiddie, and everything's just kind of got a lot tougher for everybody around him. Yeah, and he's doing everything that he can. You know, 23 points and only 12 shots, 9 of 12 from the free throw line and 7 assists. You know, yes, he had 4 turnovers, but, you know, like I said, there was plenty of guys who had elevated turnovers who didn't have the ball in their hand as much. You know, he's still playing all-star level basketball, Spencer, uh, and, you know, he can only do so much. Yes, Spencer Dinwiddie is an all-star caliber player, but the Nets don't have many other guys out there that are playing, you know, to their level that we expect them to or at or above it you know there's probably like you mentioned nick two guys if that playing at that level yeah i mean you could argue you got spencer playing at a fringe all-star level or an all-star level whatever you want to say and then you have joe harris playing at a starter level and then after that it's kind of all over the place you know one yep. game you know garrett temple looked like he could be a starter next game he looks like he should be on the bench same thing could be said about jared allen and torian prince and then even the bench unit sometimes looks like they're not even good enough to get rotation minutes yeah, I think that the one I really liked Rodion's game tonight. Just a mini shout out to him. He continues to to show confidence and capab capabilities in in his regard. I really like his energy on the boards. You know, he looked pretty good defensively as well. He's just sort of reading the game a lot better. He's playing a lot smarter basketball while still maintaining you know his individual identity. So you know, I'm really impressed with Rodion's of late. And, you know, hopefully he can continue this and, you know, continue to build on this, you know, get 20 minutes plus. Maybe he gets, you know, a starter, a fringe starter spot here and there. But, you know, he's playing some really nice basketball. And, you know, there's at least a, a positive or two in some of this negative form that the Nets have shown. Yeah, this is probably, I mean, like I mentioned, I didn't get to watch the whole game. But what I saw of him, what I've seen in the past, I think it's time for him to start to get more minutes. Yeah, you know, he's, only, he's, he's around that 15 to 18 range. I would prefer him to get minutes over Wilson Chandler. Just because, you know, I don't know, there's just something intangibly that Rodion's can bring that Wilson Chandler doesn't necessarily give you. Um, I, I want to see him lead the, the bench minutes uh, a lot of the time, unless Karras is coming off there. Because, you know, TLC, you know, he was probably at his worst game um, over this sort of stretch. You know, he's been performing pretty well in a lot of our losses, being asked to, you know, defend a lot of really tough guys. But, you know, Rodion's is probably one of our best bench players right now, talent-wise and form-wise. So he should be earning those minutes and Coach Kenny should be dishing them to him because he does deserve them. Yeah, and he brings an edge to the team. And I think that's something this team really lacks. Like, Rodion's really just does not give a shit. If someone wants to mess with him, he'll happily mess with them back. And it doesn't matter who it is in the NBA, a superstar to a guy who plays 10 minutes a game. 
And I think that's just kind of an edge that the Nets are missing. And this kind of leads to our next point. We kind of saw Kyle Lowry punk Jared Allen last night. You know, he Jared Allen him fighting for a rebound. Kyle, Kyle Lowry hooks his arm, pulls him over his back, very similar to the way we saw Kevin Love get injured in the playoffs against Kelly Olynyk a few years ago. And then I believe the words afterwards to Jared Allen were, what are you going to do about it? Obviously, it's the NBA. You're not really going to fight. But at times, you'd like to see somebody go over there and throw Lowry to the ground. Yeah, I got – I put – a tweet out in terms of, you know, Kyle Lowry to Jared Allen, what are you going to do? And then I'm like, you're going to get a flagrant, my guy. That's what's going to happen. And it got a little bit of traction. And then got a couple of Raptors uh, guys that I mentioned. I was, you know, I'll probably have to bite that one. And I'm like, yeah, the Nets also took an L. I'm like, yep, we kind of did. I just had to eat my own words there. But yeah, Kyle Lowry just sometimes can be, if you're a Raptors fan, I guess you kind of, you know, he's a did to your franchise so much but seems to me you know i like him when i'm not watching him play against the nets but when he's versus our team he's just a punk he's just an absolute punk and you know he's just a bum sometimes he flops like an absolute madman i think that that's the time because you know he earns a ridiculous amount of charges but then he plays just like such an absolute dick on the other end of the floor and it's just like my guy you like you know you call larry you know your ass is bigger than your brain sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's just a frustrating dude. And I wish he would just shut his mouth sometimes. But at the end of the day, he got the last laugh. You know, I, I liked Jared Allen, his composure. You know, I, I think Jared Allen would have squashed him if he wanted to. Uh, he earned the text. He earned the flagrants. Um, you know, if we had have had, maybe, I know a lot of guys are like, well, if we had Jared Dudley, he would have stepped up for him. I'm like, yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, it doesn't necessarily change much, you know, in terms of having a guy who can just throw a haymaker here and there or whatever. Toy and Prince normally does that. Maybe we would have liked someone to step up to it, but maybe some of the guys just didn't see it too. It's, I don't think it necessarily changes much, um, but it, I guess it changes, I guess, the, the look of this team. And I think some of the, uh, some fans and some pundits see the Nets as a little bit soft. I remember when I was in New York last, funnily enough, you know, I remember Zach Lowe sort of saying the Nets need a guy who could sort of, you know, be a be a physical or be a bully of sorts. And I guess Wilson Chandler should be that. You know, I, I know Rodion's is certainly going to stand up for his teammates, as is Torian Prince. But at the end of the day, Kyle Lowry's just going to do Kyle Lowry things. Rodion's has an attitude to do that. He doesn't have the size where if you could put him in Wilson Chandler's body, that'd be great. Because, yeah. I mean, Wilson Chandler is not going to take shit, but he's also not going to really go out of his way, I don't think. Honestly, in that situation, I would have liked to see Jared Allen shove Kyle Lowry. I know nothing's going to happen. He's probably going to get teed up. But to be honest, this isn't the first time Jared Allen's been punked. Like, we've seen this a regular time, regular amount in the season. Just against Dallas, Maxi Kleba put an elbow into his chest. And then whenever they play the Sixers, Ben Simmons is always trying to do some trash against him. So... Jared Allen is going to continue to kind of get this type of treatment until he retaliates. And, you know, you don't want to say, say that he needs to throw a punch, but this is kind of brings me back. And I mentioned this, I think, on the Dallas pod, Carl Anthony Towns and the whole Joel Embiid situation. Like, at some point, Jared Allen, if he wants to be a starting center in the NBA and people to kind of be intimidated by him, he's going to have to step up in one of these situations. I'm not advocating to fight, but I am advocating to defend yourself. Yeah, it's almost like he's too calm and composed for his own good. You know, he's there's, not there's... good enough to be that calm and composed. Like if you're a really good player and people are going to get in your head to try to knock you off your game, that's that's a typical thing. But no disrespect to Jared Allen. If he was ejected in this game, we're not crying about it or like, oh my God, we just lost Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. It's acceptable for him to do something like that. Yeah, and I think it's there's going to be a moment. And I think we've seen in the past occasionally where Jared Allen will just go, you know, I'm not accepting this and, and show that little bit of extra physicality and aggression. But 
you know, that's on him. You know, I think the coaches can be like, you know, we want more from you in terms of the physicality. You know, physicality always seems to be a key theme within this Brooklyn Nets team a lot. You know, physicality can help bring, you know, those extra boards, you know, showing them on, on especially, you know, uh, off the glass is, is one area where the Nets can sort of really step up. And, you know, Jared Allen needs to, he's still growing and, and finding his identity within this league. And, you know, I think it's key for any sort of center. You know, the best centers in this league have an element of edge to them. You know, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, Anthony Davis, you know, has that little bit of an edge now as well. You know, even lesser guys, you know, Clint Capella is, is physical sort of guy. Steven Adams is a very scary, sexy man. So I, I think in, in that sort of realm, we need Jared Allen to become that sort of more composed guy. I always compare him to Miles Turner. Even Miles Turner has that little bit of an edge. And, you know, I know Jared Allen is a, a much better rebounder than, than Corey's guy. But Miles Turner has that physicality, has that incredible defensive prowess that he's shown in the past and three-point shot that he can rest on these laurels to an extent when it comes to being a big bruising sort of guy. Whereas Jared Allen isn't showing enough now to sort of just be the, the cool zen guy uh, anymore. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, he's still a young guy, so we are putting some pressure on him. You know, he's 20, 22 years old, and, you know, Kyle Lowry, I believe, is like 30-something. So it, there is an age factor, but at the same time, you have to realize how big you are, and you do are somewhat intimidating. You might not have the biggest muscle, but you're still a big dude out there. Be nice if we, it'd be nice if Jared Allen get going, and maybe Karis LeVert could be a guy to help get Jared Allen back on a roll. Yeah, I mean, during that run, Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Jared Allen, it was like, you know, Spencer would have 30 and Jared Allen would have a double-double. So at the end of the day, I think it's got to be sort of, you know, I don't, I think we can ask Karras to provide so much, but, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's doing plenty for these guys too. He's giving them some some really good opportunities. I think some defenses uh, have been better at defending our pick and roll of late, which is certainly clogging up the lane for guys like Allen and Jordan. But, you know, it's on them to be able to be smart enough and, and be savvy enough to be able to find their own shot, get some extra boards, and just be better. Just be better. Yeah, and I think having, you know, when when uh, Karras gets back to his minutes, being able to play LeVert and Dinwiddie together, having two playmakers out there will make it a little bit harder to double-team guys, and it should open things up more for the rest of the team. But, Jack, enough with this game. It was a loss. You know, the Nets have not started the new year great. I think it's five straight losses since Christmas time. But we got an update on the Kyrie Irving injury. What do we hear? Yeah, I'm going to go through some quotes, Nick, and uh, I'm, I'm going via uh, the ESPN story. You know, I think there was uh, a 13-minute press conference, I think, overall. There was the Brooklyn Nets video that you sent me when I woke up, watched that in full. I, ch I chatted about it as well uh, a little bit. Now, I I'm saving most of my Nets chatter for here uh, on The Buzz, but I chatted a little bit on JBT uh, with Nick and Maggers. But we'll get to these quotes, Nick, and I guess we can respond uh, in turn. And Kyrie Irving said, uh, and I quote, I'm in a better place now that it has been a significant amount of time. The next step in any progression was to either get a cortisone shot or to get surgery. That was the ultimatum I was fixed with. Now I'm just doing the best I can to live off this cortisone and move forward if I need surgery in the future. He had the cortisone shot on Christmas Eve. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, we kind of thought injury, uh, surgery would be a possibility. Cortisone shot's usually like the last thing, and it's pretty much eliminating the pain you'd be playing with. Uh, part of me kind of just wants Kyrie to get the surgery and then be fresh for next year. But obviously he wants to play. It's his hometown first, first season in Brooklyn. He wants to get back on the court and help this team win games. Yeah. I think he's, he's eager to just get back out there in, in a lot of ways, Nick. And uh, you can't fault that. 
you know, I, I like what, uh, as long as this isn't a long-term sort of thing and, you know, cortisone shots can certainly be that and, and require, you know, some extra management long-term. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the best probably route is that he'll probably end up probably having to get surgery and, you know, sooner rather than later, probably. At the end of the day, as long as he is, you know, fit and healthy for next season, you know, at the same timeline as Kevin Durant, that's essentially what matters. That's what this end goal is with this Nets team. But if there is a chance that Kyrie can come back this season, then he can get the surgery in the offseason and still be healthy, then I don't see a problem with it either. But you put a poll out there. Has, has that finished? That, what were the results of that? What were people thinking on that Twitter? I believe it got 55 votes, 75% yes, and 25% no. And the question is, would you like Kyrie to get surgery now? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with either route. And I, I saw some good tweets from a lot of people sort of saying, you know, there's a lot of people out there telling, you know, what one man should do with his own body. At the <laughs> end of the day, you have to trust what, you know, a guy wants to do. And sometimes, you know, you it's up to the experts to go, nah, you need the surgery right now. But if the, the Nets medical team, and, you know, we generally marvel at them in a lot of ways, have given him these two options and he's still able to, you know, provide some sort of success in, in his recovery, and then, you know, you give Kyrie the chance to play basketball. I've said this a million times about a lot of our guys, especially Kyrie. He wants to play basketball. So if there's a chance that he can do that this season, then I'm sure he's going to want to get back. I think a lot of people forget these guys are only in the NBA for X amount of years and they don't want to miss a year because of an injury, even though it might not be the best opportunity to win a championship. Still, they want to get on the court and kind of just progress with things. And then even gelling with the rest of his teammates and kind of finding a nice synergy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that, you know, we want to see him where we saw, you know, early glimpses of him with Karras and Spencer. You know, now that Spencer's at this level, what could Kyrie bring to that sort of mix as well? So it's interesting. Apparently, he'll be reevaluated in a month or two to see whether arthroscopic surgery will be needed. Uh, and he did say this as well. A cortisone shot lasts as long as it can. You either continue to get cortisone shots, which is obviously de detrimental to your health and your muscles, or you go get the arthroscopic surgery. And he said, for me, it's just about being able to go back out there after the right amount of rehab, the right amount of rest and recovery and see what we can do the rest of the season and then reevaluate after a few months. So I guess echoing the sentiments that we sort of uh, sort of spoke about there. Yeah, and pretty much we essentially still have no timetable. We don't even know if he'll return this season or if he's rehabbing and eventually gets to the point where he needs to kind of just elect to get to surgery now. So, I mean, we got more detail about the situation, but not really much detail on the return. Yeah, and I think that because it is such a, a complex injury, and, and we could chat about it a little bit more, Nick, but the the extent of when it happened was sort of illuminated a little bit. He said that the, fain, the pain first appeared when the Nets played the Pelicans on November 4, uh, a game that I was at. I didn't actually notice that. I could see him, I think, in one instance, and I know some of the guys in Nets, but I think Billy Reinhardt put out a video as well where he seemed to be a little bit uncomfortable and then he dropped 30 that game too right didn't he yeah he was really really good but you know we know Kyrie is just a marvel no matter what and you know even some of his poor performances playing through that injury you know against the Denver game he was still a pretty effective player and you know he said the pain persisted and after the the Nuggets game which we highlighted quite a bit the pain got worse and he said it just sucks man it really is disheartening when you are working your tail off to a certain level and your shooting shoulder just starts to give out on you a little bit you're looking at like hey it's just a shoulder let me ice this thing let me get back out there but you keep feeling something in your shoulder and you're trying to explain it to the medical staff you're trying to explain it to all these experts out there i'm doing all these exercises and still nothing is happening to get me back on the courts 
Yeah, it's. I mean, shoulders are really tough, and I think people forget about this. There's such a joint that you use for everything. Like naturally, Kyrie thinks, "Hey, I'm using my shoulder to shoot," but in certain instances, you're using your shoulder to dribble, or you're using it defensively. You're creating a lot of contact, running through screens. So, it's it's a tough thing to deal with, and it kind of points to what we've kind of alluded to in the past is. It's hard to kind of um, determine what the injury actually is, and I think that's probably part of the frustration for the Nets, part of the frustration for Kyrie, and that's why we really don't have no idea about the return because I don't think they know exactly what is wrong with this, and that's why they kind of put it out there, that cortisone shot, and then also they, he could end up getting surgery. So would it surprise me if Friday of this week we find out that Kyrie's going to get surgery? No. Yeah, and I think that uh, a lot of that frustration, Kyrie is echoing himself. You know, he said that, you know, he's still experiencing pain in that right shoulder. You know, when we were sort of getting the early inklings that he could be coming back, you know, he's back to doing some things on court. We wanted to do some um, some contact drills. He hasn't been able to do that. You know, he still hasn't done any contact drills, which is essentially, you know, the, the final step for, for any player in their recovery. You know, for Karras, you know, he had, I think, two contact sort of training sessions, practice sessions, and then he was back for the Nets. And, you know, I didn't see this until I went on to the ESPN website, Nick, but he did respond uh, in terms of the Boston sort of furor and the Instagram post, and he's like, it wasn't about the players on the floor during that day. It became about me and where I was and what I was doing. I got nothing but love for Boston. I appreciate everyone standing up for me and speaking on my behalf, telling people it's not my fault and it's not all on him. I'm a man. I'm about to, I'm able to take criticism. I haven't taken it well in the past, but at this point in my career, the big picture is I need to focus on winning a championship here. I didn't see anyone post about that because it's not Kyrie. It doesn't fit the Kyrie narrative. I did not know that quote existed. Obviously, I haven't been as deep in Twitter the last day, but it's kind of sad that like everybody's ready to point out such negative things, but when something positive or level-headed comes out in terms of a quote, no one wants to share it because it doesn't fit their narrative. And it kind of gets back to what you were saying before. Actually, no, sorry, Corey was saying this on uh, the NBA outlet because we did mention the Kyrie injury in the update, saying how people were so ready to kind of talk about his mental health and saying that's why he was out when it turns out he really has a freaking messed up shoulder. Yeah, I, I echoed, I probably semi-repeated my rant on JBT that I had from the last few episodes uh, you know, Rick Buecher, our guy. What an awesome reporter that could be. <laughs> um, that was some A1 sarcasm for 2020. <laughs> yeah, bring, bring, the, bring in those vibes, mate. Bring in those vibes. Same sort of vibes. But yeah, I, I shout outs to Malika Andrews for reporting things that happened, things that, and how Kyrie responded. You know, it shows that, you know, there, there is good quality reporting out there. And it seems to be from the Nets reporters that we know and love. You know, Malika Andrews has certainly stepped up for ESPN. We know Pooch. We know Brian Lewis. We know, you know, a lot of these guys uh, for Nets Daily as well. But, yeah, for the fact that Kyrie, uh, whenever he does speak, you know, I think it's frustrating because we don't hear a lot from him. But when he does speak, he's always incredibly eloquent, always incredibly measured, and he's incredibly confident in front of the mics. And, you know, he's personable, he's friendly. You know, it's it's almost like a yin and a yang for, for him and KD. We know KD certainly doesn't like to talk a little bit unless it's like on a podcast and just chatting a little bit, you know, with some former players or, or guys that he sort of prefers. But, you know, Kyrie is certainly doing some things. But in that sense, Nick, the... I'm not sure if you've seen, I think I sent it to you in the DMs. In fact, I did. The extent of this shoulder injury, we know now that, you know, Brandon um, Robinson was right about the bursitis, but, and Kenny did refute that, but uh, a medical expert who's been doing some really cool things and uh, about Kevin Durant that we might get to as well a little bit later, described the fact that there is two elements of bursitis within the shoulder and we don't necessarily know which one it is, which affects injury time and affects uh, recovery time 
So it's it was, I guess, sort of right to Ken, for Kenny to say that to an extent. But in that sense of the imagination, I guess it relates to the communication from the Nets organization, Nick. And I know an incredible amount of fans have been frustrated, including the man himself, Pooch, who put out a, a really nice article on Nets Daily. How does How are you feeling personally as a Nets fan, as a Nets podcaster, a guy who talks about this team pretty incessantly, are you somewhere in the middle? Are you one of the extreme fans who is like, get Coach Kenny out of here, Sean Marks out of here. <laughs> These guys aren't telling me enough. I, I want, I'm a fan. I, I pay my tickets. I pay for jerseys. I deserve to know everything that's going on. Yeah, I'm actually probably closer to the other end of the spectrum because we know this is what the Nets do. It's not like this is a surprise and it's the first time they're doing it and they're just doing it because it's Kyrie. They pretty much kept us in the dark about a lot of players' recovery. Like Alan Crabb last season, we literally had no idea what happened to him. I mean, some of that, too, was Alan Crabb, I think, mentioned in an interview that he they didn't really know what the injury was at first. And then even Karis LeVert's return. We kind of found out he was going to return last season because we saw a Twitter video because they posted him You kind of at Houston working out. So, like, I'm not upset about it because this is my expectation for them. And we've kind of discussed in the past, like, it's not really our business. Like we don't need to know. And I think I don't mind it because it doesn't put as much pressure on the player to get back in X amount of time. If you say, Hey, yeah, we're expecting Kyrie back this week. And then he's kind of trying to push extra hard through his rehab and he re-injures himself even more. I view that more as a negative. I, I get why fans are upset though. I completely understand why they want at least some type of update. I think what the Nets could do to improve where they don't have to give us a timetable on a return, they could just say, hey, Kyrie's going to be reevaluated at the end of this week and then just give us some type of update. Oh, Kyrie's still rehabbing. We don't know exactly what's wrong with the shoulder. Just small details. Even if it's vague, I think people just appreciate the updates. Yeah, I think that you know the key word for, for Pooch was transparency. Uh, and I think that a level of transparency needs to be a little bit better, uh, especially, and I think you know he put it pretty perfectly in the fact that you know, this is Kyrie Irving. This isn't Alan Crabb anymore. You know, th there are people beyond the Brooklyn Nets organization that want to know about this guy's recovery. You know, he is second in fan voting for the guards in the East and he's played like 10 games. So he has an incessant amount of fans within the Brooklyn Nets sphere and beyond. So there needs to be a level of communication uh, above what you would probably normally see from this next organization. They need to, to learn from maybe some of their mistakes that they have made and be a little bit more honest and, and communicative when it comes to Kyrie's recovery. And I, I think some fans were also like, why is it being put to Kyrie to, to speak to the, to the media? Why wasn't Coach Kenny doing this? And it's just like, well, I'm going to guess and, and I'm going to infer that Kyrie wanted to. Uh, and I think in that sort of sense, you know, Coach Kenny and Sean Marks and all the assistant coaches have been sheltering information to an extent because I think that that's how they think it would best affect Kyrie or that's what Kyrie wanted from them. I would no doubt in my mind that this Nets organization is player-centric and does what the players want and what is best for their wants and needs and desires. And I'm assuming, you know, Kyrie had a chance, uh, I think, at a high school invitational to speak to the media as well when he was at Barclays. He chose not to. So I think that in this sense of the imag imagination, we need to temper it a little bit. Uh, I understand that frustration is, is warranted where it is due, and there is a level to it that is due. But I think at the end of the day, if we see the Nets continue to do the same things and not learn from their past mistakes and go, like you mentioned, Nick, you know, just a little bit of a trickling here and there, Cairo will be reevaluated here. And I know it's tricky with the, the, the level of this injury and the complex nature of it, but the Nets fans deserve at least some semblance of information because we care a lot more about Kyrie Irving than we do about Alan Crabbe and Jeremy Lin.
No offense to those <laughs> Major shade. No, uh, I agree. I understand. And I understand the perspective of just an NBA fan, not even a Nets fan, because Kyrie Irving is one of the most exciting players to watch in the NBA. We discussed this before. You know, he was due for a highlight play every single quarter. And it was like, it, it was, you know, we miss watching him out there because he's so much fun to watch. And we obviously want him to be back out there. But, Jack, we kind of got a couple notes on the KD injury. Yeah. And I guess, Nick, you, uh, I guess KD's. Oh. Who's more my guy? Am I Kyrie or are you KD? Like, who have we sort of... I think I've gone more with the Kyrie route because of the general personality sort of stuff and, and the sort of mental health things. And Katie's sort of more the cool collector guy, a little bit more rational, a little bit more smooth. And I guess you're more of the KD type. I, I guess so. I think that's fitting. I was a really big KD guy, actually, when he was in OKC. I lost a little bit of love at first when he was in Golden State, but he got that love back after he hit that three in LeBron's face. But um, t- t- Tell us what we need to know about KD and his injury. And it, I think it's some really positive news. Yeah, I mean, it's something that we've probably sort of known. And and I think that it was, again, from the, the same medical professional that I alluded to, can't remember his name, uh, on Twitter, and he does some YouTube videos as well. And he posted this video sort of saying that the location of the Achilles injury for Kevin Durant is in a area where it should allow for a higher likelihood for full recovery you know, when we compare it to, say, a DeMarcus Cousins and, and some other guys who have struggled to get back and have had, you know, lingering effects of the Achilles injury, you know, it's, uh, I think it's lower. Is it lower where it's worse or is it higher where it's worse? I think lower is worse, higher is better. And that actually makes a lot of sense if you consider that Golden State at first was ca- calling this more of an ankle injury. And to that extent, if you think it's a little bit higher on the leg, I could understand why someone might refer to it as an ankle instead of Achilles. Because when you think Achilles, you think more so your heel. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think in that sort of sense, the imagination, we expect Kevin Durant to get back to some level anyway. Because we It gets know- me excited talking about it. It really does, especially with how bad things are going for the Nets right now in terms of all the injuries and the five-game losing streak. Just in the back of your head, thinking about Kevin Durant is going to put on a Brooklyn Nets uniform, it just feels weird. Yeah, in a good way. (laughs) I mean, yeah, Kevin Durant is one of the best players of the modern era. You know, we've spoken about, you know, all decade teams on the outlet and and JBT and such and full access hoops. We know how talented this guy is. He is a a guy by himself who can lead you to a nigh on top four seed. He is that ridiculously talented. And the fact that we could be seeing that version of Kevin Durant come back after such a serious injury is incredibly positive. And we know Dominic Wilkins has given him some some really positive advice as well. A guy who is probably one of the few success stories to come back from one of the, the most serious injuries that you can have, especially in basketball. You know, only good things uh, and hopefully all those vibes and all this news, you know, relates to an incredibly positive recovery from Kevin, for Kevin Durant because, you know, there's a guy that wants to hoop uh, at Kevin Durant. And I'm also liking the fact that, you know, he's jumping in. He's back on Twitter a little bit, standing up for his boy, uh, Kevin Durant on Twitter, on social media. You know, I'm enjoying that, but I'm going to enjoy it even more when he's putting on the black and white and, and stepping onto the hardwood for us. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy it more when he's talking shit on the court to players. Um, but, Jack, you kind of threw a conspiracy theory to me. Do you think this elevates any chance of Kevin Durant coming back this year? I know someone put on Twitter that they think Kyrie really wants to play this season because he believes that Kevin Durant will make a return. Hey, I mean, I'm not a big conspiracy theory dude. I know my guy Nick Busick is, and we've talked about you know the, the moon landing and all this other weird and shady stuff on the podcast, but... 
There's a possibility. I mean, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I mean, there's a probably about as much smoke as you would get from, you know, blowing out a candle. But there is something there probably. And, and I mean, yes, he's been shut down and, and everything. But, you know, I think the, the large reason why Kyrie wants to get back is because he wants to play basketball. But, you know, maybe there's a 0.5% chance that Kevin Durant does end up back and, you know, he is healthy and, you know, he's healthy in April and, and the Nets are around the playoff margins and, you know, we get a seventh seed and we have to verse Boston and boy, oh boy, would that be fun with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving out on the court. But, you know, we can always dream, Nick. I can dream a lot, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> especially about that scenario. Just imagine how upsetting he would be if you got like a two or three seed and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm going to match up with a seven seed. Oh, yeah, Kevin Durant's back too. So this is really like facing a one or two seed if he's 100% healthy. Yeah. yeah. But uh, kind of just getting to the Nets playoff situation, we haven't really chatted about it because it, essentially it really hasn't mattered because the East has been terrible. But the Nets only have a one game lead on Orlando who they face tomorrow night. Yeah, and Orlando, obviously, with Jonathan Isaac being out for uh, an extended period of time, that works nicely. But then there are, <coughs> sorry, uh, there are some teams on the out that are, are looking in a little bit. You know, the Hornets, you know, I, I think the Nets are relatively safe with the, the seventh or eighth seed. But we know how good the, the Magic are in terms of their coaching, in terms of their defensive schemes. You know, Markel Fultz has had a good season. You know, Aaron Gordon will, might hit some form uh, at some stage if, if he doesn't get traded. Uh, but you know, I think the Nets are relatively solid where they are. I don't see them anywhere near the realm of, of those top six seeds unless at least Kyrie gets back to some form and or Kevin Durant. But you know, the Nets are probably a seventh seed at best in their current iteration, uh, but are playing you know certainly not like a playoff team of late. You know, us and the, and the Sixers are the only teams to not win since Christmas. Yeah, and it just feels like. Uh, seventh and eighth, there's such a dramatic drop because if you're in seventh, you're going to possibly match up with a team like Boston, Miami, Toronto, Philadelphia, even Indiana could possibly get up there. And those teams all seem beatable if the Nets are healthy, you know, and that's not, that's excluding Kevin Durant. That just includes, you know, having Kyrie and Karis LeVert back at a hundred percent. But if you drop down to eighth, you're facing the Bucks. And even with Kevin Durant just returning, I would not feel great against a matchup with the Bucks, regardless. It just does not feel fun going up against Giannis and that team who's been maybe the best team in the NBA this season. You really want to maintain that seventh spot or and at least give yourself a cushion because luckily the Nets have this five-game winning uh, losing streak, but Orlando hasn't been great, and they also had a three- or four-game cushion on them. Yeah, the, the, the Magic haven't been good of light either. We've still got a, a little bit of a buffer, but... You know, with Carlos Avert out the next game, the Magic will certainly be motivated to, to get up to that seventh seed as well. They will close the gap if we do lose this one, and they'll end up, you know, possibly being above us or, or literally being the exact same sort of uh, realm as us. So uh, as much as the, the Nets are, you know, relatively safe in the seventh or eighth seed, you know, you want to have um, a, a little bit of cushioning so you can you know, come up against one of those lesser teams and, and not Giannis, the, the wrecking Greek god that he has been uh, this past season. Yeah, obviously this is a big game tomorrow. You don't usually like to say that in January, especially the first week of January, but this is something you want to take advantage of, especially in a five-game losing streak, and I believe the game is in Barclays, at Barclays Center. Yeah, so hopefully the, the home crowd gets out and, and really supports the guys, and we see, you know... Some oh, I'm mistaken, actually. The game is in Orlando, so that's even tougher for the Nets. Great. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the Nets need to, and I mean, Orlando isn't too far of a, of a trip and we have performed relatively well there uh, at times 
you know, since we've been um, recording the buzz, but you know, if, if a lot of the things that we spoke about earlier about the, the, the team in general, their concerns, the players and such, those guys step up. There's certain players we're looking for. Spencer continues his form uh, and some other guys, you know, step up here and there. We should be able to get a win. I think that the Nets and the Magic are placed very similarly and have very similar talent levels. So uh, I think we're in for probably a bit of a slog with this one. Yeah, hopefully they can pull it out in Orlando. It would be a nice win, especially to end this losing streak and kind of get some nice momentum into 2020 in a positive way. But, Jack, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Look, it's uh, it's going to be a long 2020, Nick. You know, it started off pretty uh, negatively in terms of a lot of world news and uh, massive condolences and, and thoughts and, and everything with, with people um, experiencing any sort of level of, of pain uh, through the bushfires, losing their houses, all the animals, all the, the bushlands, and incredibly sorry state of affairs here here in my home country. But, you know, the level of love and support that, that has been garnered from, the, you know, just the, the world in general has been, you know, something really positive to see. And, you know, in these tough times, sometimes it's good to talk about basketball to just forget about it a little bit. And, you know, as much as the, the Nets are going poorly, you know, you have to keep a level head. And, you know, the things aren't all that bad when we're just talking about a basketball team for about half an hour. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and even when things happen bad for the Nets, there's so many worse things happening in the world. We wish everybody in Australia the best and obviously all the other issues going on in the world, which we could spend an entire podcast talking about. But Happy New Year to all you Nets fans. Happy New Year to you too, Jack. And as always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsapolog.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.